Haven for each one who participated in our service today. No one likes to be maligned or slandered or even spoken of or even simply go unappreciated. Paul was treated in all these ways and more by some of the Corinthians and certainly others that he had encountered in the past. So we can identify with the personal struggles that he must have faced. Earlier, Paul had defended himself. His commission had been questioned. His motives were disparaged and his conduct was impugned. However, Paul realized that there was more at stake than simply his own reputation. Sometimes people will say, I don't care what other people think. Well, there's a sense in which that's good. There's a sense in which we need to be our own people in, in the right sense of that word, that, that we need to stand up for the things of, of God, that we don't let other people intimidate us. We don't shirk from those times in which we may be ridiculed or, or mocked, made fun of, or feel a bit estranged because we are willing to identify with Jesus Christ. There's a sense in which it's good to say, you know, I don't really care what other people think. But on the other hand, it really is important what other people think about us, how we are viewed. Not just for our own self-worth or aggrandizement or self-satisfaction, but it's important how people view us because we represent Jesus Christ. And how people view us is going to reflect either positively or negatively on our testimony, on our ministry. We can't separate our personal lives from the ministry that we engage in. And so Paul is concerned not just with defending himself, but in defending the ministry. And so Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that he is very concerned that he conducts his life in such a way that he does not create any obstacles for others to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, the NIV reads, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Paul is careful not to raise any obstacles, put any doubts, any thoughts, any reasons for accusation. They would give people an excuse for failing to trust in Jesus Christ. But not just negatively, now he states it positively as well in verse 4, but in contrast to the ministry being discredited, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. So that Paul wants to, in every facet of his life and every situation that he encounters, to be commending 
himself as a servant of God, that he is recommending or seeking to demonstrate the reality that he is a true servant of God. So how is Paul going to do that? Well, he tells us that first and foremost, he demonstrates that he is a true servant of God and seeks to commend or recommend his ministry to others through his endurance or perseverance. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance. Now, if you will, just bear with me for a moment. If you have an NIV, you will notice that after the word endurance, you've got a semicolon. If you've got a New American Standard, after the word endurance, you have a comma. Uh, punctuation is not inspired. Punctuation doesn't even exist in the original text. Uh, there is no uh, punctuation in the original text, which makes uh, translation all the more interesting and at the same time difficult. But I point this out to you because the NAS and the NIV take a little different approach to understanding the role of endurance. And that is, is an endurance just a part of all the ensuing qualities or is endurance the overarching quality of which everything else proves to be an example? I think that uh, in this particular instance that the NIV is preferable in seeing that Paul is basically saying it's his endurance and then giving us many examples of the way in which that endurance is manifested. And so that's the way I'm taking the passage this morning. Paul's ministry was enhanced through his endurance or perseverance. So this morning we want us to answer the question, how is Paul's ministry enhanced or increased through his perseverance and endurance? Well, we note, first of all, that Paul's ministry was enhanced by persevering through a host of various afflictions. A host of various afflictions. Here we have a bit of review And so we're not going to go into these in any great detail because we've considered them in previous weeks. But I would just point out to you that there are three categories that are present in verses 4 and 5 of the kinds of afflictions that the Apostle Paul had to endure or persevere through in order to promote or enhance the ministry. The first is mental afflictions, trials or difficulties, which is found in the word afflictions in verse 4. Problems that were ongoing, not quickly relieved, as described in the word hardships in verse 4. And frustrations, causes for mental anguish, as 
found in the word distresses in verse 4. Distresses. Paul is enduring not only mental afflictions, but Paul is enduring afflictions at the hands of others. Verse 5, in beatings. And you will remember, perhaps, if you were here, we showed a picture of a slave whose back was incredibly scarred as a result of of a bullwhip's uh, affliction of many lashes on his back during the time of the Civil War. And we talked about how Paul experienced many repeated beatings by lashes, by rods and different things. And then there are the many imprisonments, verse 5, and tumults, which are riots that he had to go through. So Paul suffered much at the hands of of others. Now Paul introduces us to something a bit new, uh, a third area of afflictions of which he has said little thus far. And that is Paul intentionally experiences what I'm going to refer to as spiritual disciplines in his life in order to persevere in ministry. There are three ways in which Paul has intentionally taken upon himself suffering in order to do the work of God. The first is found in the word labors in verse 5. It's hard and difficult work. And we can understand that in two ways. First, the Apostle Paul was willing to engage in physical labor and toil in order to support himself while he was ministering the Word of God. So, Paul labored. Or we can understand the labor to be the very work of God itself. And how Paul gave himself completely, wholeheartedly, to doing the work of God. He was not lazy. He was not reticent. He was not backward. But rather, he was quite diligent in proclaiming the word of truth. The second is in prayer vigils. Prayer vigils. If you have the NAS or the NIV, it's found in the word sleeplessness. And if you have a King James Version, it has the word watchings. And I think that's a better translation for it's not just the fact that Paul could not sleep at night, but rather that Paul determined not to sleep at night. He went without sleep in order to pray, in order to seek God's blessing upon his own ministry and the ministry of others. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says to his disciples, watch with me, pray with me. And if you remember, the disciples go off and fall asleep. While Jesus is over here praying. And so he goes over and wakes them and says, 
Watch with me. Pray with me. And they go back to sleep. Well, here the Apostle Paul is saying that he spends sleepless nights. He stays up. He's praying about all the things that he is encountering. What those that uh, he is ministering the word to are encountering. He's praying faithfully. And then thirdly, in fastings. In fastings. Found in the word translated in the NAS and the NIV as the word hunger. Hunger. Notice verse 5. In hunger. And if you have a King James, it says fastings. Again, I think fasting is a better translation. This is a broad word that would include hunger or it would include fastings. And uh, but the point here is it's intentional. Sometimes we go without food because there's no food available. And then there are times that we purposefully go without food in order to fast, in order to fast. Many times I am with people in the hospital and uh, they have a loved one that's going through an operation. And they are waiting for word to come back as to the success of that operation, how their loved one is doing. And it's a pretty common thing that I run into. Those people don't want to leave the waiting room. They don't want to miss a phone call, a doctor's visit. And so they decide to go without lunch or they decide to go without supper. They don't want to eat Because they don't want that to get in the way of hearing the news or being supportive. It's in that sense that Paul says there were times in which it would be inappropriate for me to eat in order to talk to people or in order to pray for people or because there was work to be done. Paul says that was fine. And I persevered through all those different Situations. The point is that Paul put up with a great deal in order to take the message of reconciliations to others. In all that it is endured, it should be readily seen that Paul truly was a servant of God. That he was interested in not just his own pleasure and not in just his own desires but really had the attitude of a servant. And we are to admire such people. And we are to recognize that that enhances the gospel, that that brings credit to the ministry. When we find people with that kind of attitude, we see a sincerity that then causes the gospel, the message of reconciliation. To be seen to be the beautiful gospel that it is. So one of the things we need to ask ourselves, of course, is to what degree are we willing to suffer in order to bring the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation to others? Secondly, Paul's ministry was enhanced by the manner in which Paul persevered. Not just the fact that he did, 
but the way in which he persevered. For we find that Paul endured everything with a moral uprightness and singleness of purpose. Verse 6, in purity. Now he is describing the way in which he persevered. He persevered in purity. He did not use trickery. He did not take an ungodly way out, but manifested a pure heart, mind, motive, and singleness of purpose. Next, Paul endured, demonstrating a great degree of spiritual understanding. Verse 6, in knowledge. In knowledge. So that Paul took his knowledge of the Word of God and demonstrated a practical understanding of God's truth in the way in which he lived his life. Paul didn't merely proclaim the truth. He lived the truth. Paul didn't merely instruct others in how to live. He exemplified how to live. So that the Apostle Paul was not afraid to say, Be ye followers of me as I follow Christ. Much, many of us are much more familiar with the adage, Don't do as I do. Do as I say. That's not biblical. And that's not Paul. Paul said, be followers of me as I am followers of Christ. Now, none of us are without sin. None of us are perfect. If people want to scrutinize our lives, they are going to find areas of fault. But it should be our purpose. It should be our desire. It should be our intention It should be our resolve to seek to live as consistently as possible with what we say. That we seek to manifest the kinds of characteristics that the Word of God would have us uh, manifest. Next, Paul endured in times of insult or ridiculous inquiry without anger or retaliation. All wrapped up in this word patience. Patience. Here he was patient with people. Patient with people. He would go through many insults. He would go through merciless questionings. He would go through ridiculous proposals and opposition, and yet he demonstrated great patience. He just didn't simply turn people off. He endured with people. He put up with people. That's not always easy. Sometimes we want to wash our hands of people, especially those that are in opposition to us, those that give us a hard time, those that don't want to hear what we have to say. But Paul persevered. Next, Paul endured and manifested a sympathetic and a compassionate disposition towards his opponents, all wrapped up in the word kindness. Not only was he patient, but while he was patient, he was kind, kind, a sympathetic disposition. He was able to understand where they were coming from, as it were. 
Paul was able to reflect upon his own testimony and knew that there was a time in which he was very opposed to the things of Christ. In fact, he was actually putting Christians to death. And so as he was experiencing persecution, he not only was patient with others, but he actually was kind towards them. He understood some of the motivations that would cause their hatred of him. Next, he had a godly response. For it says in verse 6, in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, we can also translate that in a spirit of holiness. The Apostle Paul is saying that he responded in a godly manner, in a Christ-like manner. For earlier, last week we saw that Paul was given this ministry of reconciliation. He said that he was an ambassador for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we beg you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. So as he begged in Christ's stead, now he tried to manifest a Christ-likeness. Not just in his begging, but in the way in which Jesus responded to all that he endured. And most notably, what Jesus endured on the cross. So that when he was reviled, he did not revile again. When he was threatened, he did not threaten in return, but instead prayed and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Apostle Paul sought to emulate not only the teaching of Jesus, but the life of Jesus. All with authentic concern. Found in the words, genuine love. Genuine love. And authentic concern. Not feigned. Not put on. Not manipulative. But real. He really was concerned about the people to whom he ministered. Application. It's one thing to endure difficulties. But as we think about a Christ-likeness, it is more than just simply enduring difficulties. It's the manner in which we endure those difficulties. You see, sometimes people continue on, but they do so with a lot of complaining. Or they become irritable. Or short-tempered. Or they feel put upon, used, taken advantage of. You can see it in their face. They are weary. They are tired. They are angry. They keep going on. But they're miserable to be around. They are unhappy people. But they're slugging through. This is not the imagery of the Apostle Paul. He was not just slugging through. He was not just putting his hand to the wheel. Putting it to the grindstone. It was more than just eking out this endurance. But... He was actually enduring in such a way that he was demonstrating these these godly temperaments. He wasn't letting all of these negatives get him down or frustrate him or in any way diminish his eagerness for the work of God. Which brings us to the third point. Paul's ministry was enhanced through the means by which he persevered. How could he do that? How could he persevere in that way? You see, because we found in chapters 1 and 2 that the Apostle Paul did get down. 
But the Apostle Paul did get weary. The Apostle Paul said, I despaired even of life. I didn't think I could go on. So how do you reconcile chapters 1 and 2 with chapter 6? The answer is the grace of God that was given to him. And so he endured, demonstrating the power of God in his life, which commended the gospel. Paul's life showed the reality of Jesus Christ in Paul's life and what Jesus Christ could do. So Paul endured by the means of God's faithful word, verse 7, in the word of truth. Also could translate this by means of the word of truth. The Apostle Paul relied upon the word of God. He relied upon God's word for his call. He knew that God had separated him for this work. He said that God had committed unto him the ministry of reconciliation. He kept going back to that divine responsibility. Paul knew that he had been saved for that very reason. And so it encouraged him to go on to be faithful to God. He stayed true to the word of God when that word was opposed Paul didn't change the message in order to make it more acceptable, to make it more pleasing. And we need to realize that as we live in a society that doesn't find the gospel as a very appealing or accepting message. It is viewed as narrow-minded and intolerant to teach that there's only one way of salvation. You mean to tell me that all the other religions are wrong? Do you mean to tell me that you've got to believe just like you believe or everybody else goes to hell? That's the attitude of our world. That's the message that we experience from the non-Christian world. We're narrow. We're limited. The Apostle Paul said concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews it was a stumbling block and to the Uh, Greeks, it was foolishness. But unto those that were saved, it was the wisdom of God and the power of God. The Apostle Paul stayed true to the word, even though opposition was coming to him on that account. How did he do this? By the means of God's power and not his own. Verse 7. In the power of God. In the power of God. Always employing a godly response and not a fleshly, carnal response, found the words by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Here we have a a word picture. Here we have Paul doing battle. He's doing hand-to-hand combat with forces of evil, with oppositions. And so he takes up his weapons, one in the right hand and one in the left. And what are those Weapons, they are righteousness. This is what he is going to defeat his enemy with. It is with the word of God. It is with prayer. It is with godliness. It is with example. Paul is not going to use the weapons of this world. He's not going to use intimidation. He's not going to use fear. He's not going to use manipulation. The Apostle Paul, before he is saved, and the Apostle Paul, after he is saved, is an incredibly 
different individual. Not only in his thinking, not only in his zeal, but also in his methodology. Where Paul was once a persecutor and taking vengeance upon his enemies and wanting to put them to death lest they recant, now is treating his enemies with kindness. Not threatening them. Not seeking to put them in prison. Not seeking to do them harm. But willing to lay down his own life for them. What a transformation. He is fighting with new weaponry in his left hand and his right. For some, suffering and weakness call into question the power of the Spirit at work. Paul is meeting in opposition in Corinth. And they're saying, Paul, show us the power of God at work in your ministry. If you were really experiencing God's blessing and God's power, then you wouldn't know the hardships that you are going through. You'd be spared from the suffering that you are experiencing. And you would be performing mighty works and miracles if God was really blessing your ministry. But Paul is relentless in his response that the greatest display of God's power is not the absence of pain or even the presence of a miracle, but rather in the grace that is displayed through the process of enduring hardship for the Lord's sake. Do we really understand that this morning? That the greatest manifestation of the power of God in our lives is to respond to pain, suffering, hardship, and opposition with endurance in such a way that the character of God is being revealed. You see, because that is supernatural. It is supernatural. It is above nature. It is above ourselves. It is not within us to be able to do that. It requires the work of the Spirit of God. Suffering or hardship is not in and of itself a mark of spirituality. One can suffer for wrongdoing. And it's not even suffering for Christ's sake alone that is an example of spirituality. For one might with great self-discipline, effort, personal strength, and stamina endure a great deal. People gut out a lot of things. But suffering for Christ's sake and maintaining and manifesting a gracious spirit of dependence upon God is proof of Christ at work in us. This is authentic spirituality. This is authentic ministry of relying upon God. Then lastly, Paul's ministry was enhanced as a result of persevering through all the criticisms and opposition that he encountered, verses 8 and 9. 
If you have uh, an NAS, you now have the preposition by, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report. If you have the NIV, you have the preposition through, through glory and dishonor. Again, in this instance, I think the NIV has the better translation because the emphasis is on the endurance. On the endurance. Paul is saying he's going through glory and dishonor. He's going, going through bad reports and good reports. Paul has chosen to live his life in such a way that it commends the gospel of Jesus Christ. He suffered emotionally, suffered physically at the hands of others, and he suffered intentionally, purposefully, denying himself in order to minister to others. He suffered in such a way that he displayed the character of God in his kindness and long-suffering spirit, He suffered in such a way that he did not use the practices of those around about him. He wasn't using threat. He wasn't using manipulation. He wasn't using deceit. And now, Paul has to persevere through the reality that not everyone appreciates what he's doing. Not everyone is accepting Christ. Not everyone is coming up with the same assessment. So Paul is saying in verse 8, through glory and dishonor, through bad reports and good report. Here are the two antithetical evaluations of Paul's ministry. Some see it as glorious. Some see it as dishonor. Some have a good report of what the Apostle Paul is doing, and others are giving an evil report. It is the opposite viewpoints that Paul encounters. And one might wonder how the same person can be viewed in such dramatically different ways, in antithetical ways, in opposite ways. It's the same Paul. And it's the same actions. It's the same prayers. It's the same activity. It's the same demeanor. And some are saying that's glorious. And others are saying that's shameful. Some are saying good things about Paul. And others are saying evil things about Paul. And what that does is provide the greatest obstacle to perseverance that Paul has yet encountered. The seemingly uselessness of all the sacrifice, of all the endurance, of all the prayer. Of all that he experienced.
How could that be? That two groups of people witness the same characteristics and come to such dramatically different conclusions. Well, the answer is that they were using an extremely different measuring stick to evaluate his ministry. It is not that the two were observing quite different conducts. Rather, it was the value and motives that they were placing upon that conduct. The difference was in evaluating Paul's ministry by worldly standards or spiritual standards. We must understand that when people scrutinize our lives, they are going to come to different conclusions based on what they value. Based on what they hold dear. And there are going to be people that look at you as foolish for wasting your time in sitting in church. When you can be out and enjoying yourself. There are people that are going to view you as unwise in wasting your money in giving tithes to the church when you could use that money for other purposes. New furniture, new car, new house. Wow, I can't believe how they blow their money on giving it to the Lord's work. We need to understand that people are going to evaluate our lives. In quite different ways. And our society does not promote humiliation. It it promotes pride. It doesn't promote a servant spirit. It promotes power. And people want prestige. People want power. People want authority. People want to exercise their will over others. And in our society, you can be viewed as weak if you aren't willing to let other people exercise their will over you. Poor. And so we have these these contrasts. Verses 8 and verse 9. Glory and dishonor. Bad report, good report. Genuine, yet regarded as imposters. That's the way he was thought of. Known yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, all these these contrasts that are experienced. Herein is the greatest endurance of all, not just the hardships, not just the hardships accompanied by the grace of God, but the hardship of enduring when others fail to see all that we are doing for their benefit. The endurance of not only being unappreciated, but the endurance of being rejected. Rejected. Not just ourselves, but the Word of God and Jesus Christ. Notice 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 6, 1. And working together with Him. That is with Christ. We also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Receiving the grace of God in vain. 
There are many that receive God's grace in vain. Now hear the message. Has no effect. There are many people that experience the grace of God in vain. The grace of God in their own lives. It doesn't have an effect. You may be a wife here today that knows the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Your, your spouse does not. And you're trying with all your heart and all your might to bring them to faith in Christ. And with that, you're praying for them. With that, you're guarding your conduct. You're, you're trying to manifest a, a spirituality. Maybe a parent trying to win a child. Maybe a child trying to win a parent or a neighbor trying to win a next door neighbor or a co-worker. You do things. You put up with things. You intentionally sacrifice in order to reach this individual. And you find out that, that there's nothing that you do that's appreciated. And not only is it not appreciated, but it actually is rejected. You're actually despised for what you've done. People get upset with you. Wow, that, that's tough. It's tough. It's bad enough to be unappreciated. But to actually be rejected, cut off. But the Apostle Paul perseveres. And so in verse 11, he says, Our mouth is spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. Another way of saying that is, we have bared our soul to you. And, you show, and we have showed you the great degree of our concern. Verse 12, you are not restrained by us, but you are restrained by your own affections. Paul saying it's not because we don't love you, it's because you don't love us. Now, in like exchange, I speak as the children open wide to us also. Open your hearts to us. Receive us. Not simply so that Paul could feel good about himself. But Paul is saying, receive us so that you receive our word. Receive us so that you receive our ministry. It's just a reality. If people really, really dislike someone, they're not going to listen to what they say, even when that person is right. If you really can't tolerate somebody, you write off not only that person, but their influence in your life. Conversely, if you really like someone, you'll put up with a lot that you don't like in order to appease them. In order to demonstrate your appreciation for them. Paul is saying to them, open your hearts wide to us. So that you open your hearts wide to Christ and the things of God. We need to admire those who demonstrate these qualities in ministry. We need to evaluate ministries through the right lens, through the right perspective. 
We need to emulate people such as the Apostle Paul. And in chapter 6, verse 14, we have what appears to be a, a marked transition in the passage and in the text. Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness with unrighteousness. And it looks like an entirely new topic. And it is a transition. But it's a natural one. Because Paul is saying, you've got to decide what group you're going to associate with. You've got to decide who you're going to partner with. You've got to decide who you're going to go with. You can't just sit on the fence. There are those that say bad report. There are those that say good report. Those that are saying glorious. Those that are saying dishonoring. Paul's saying, you've got to choose. And you have to associate with those that are calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ in truth and verity. But in closing, in closing let us reflect on how important it is the way that people view us as to how they view the Word of God. They don't separate it in their hearts and minds. And so we must conduct ourselves in such a way that we're really concerned about what people think. Not because we're concerned about what they think about us, but what they think about Christ. What they think about the Gospel. And in the hearts and lives of many, those are inseparable issues. So may we be careful. Negatively, not to put a stumbling block in somebody's way. Not to give them an excuse. Oh, that person is mean. That person is mean-spirited. That person is so self-centered. That person is so arrogant. None of that. And then positively, in commending ourselves to find things that people not only cannot object to, but people will actually praise. Oh, that person is so loving. That person is so kind. That person is so generous. That person is so tender. That person is so genuine, so real. And knowing all the time that it's possible to live an actually sinless life. Not that it's possible for us to live, but if it were possible for us to live a sinless life, there would be still people that would find fault. How do we know that? Jesus lived a sinless life. Godly character. Some admired him. And some rebuked him. Some saw him as glorious. Saw some him as dishonoring. Some worshipped him. Some crucified him. Let us conduct ourselves in such a way that the gospel is going to be adorned. But don't get discouraged when you have put forth every effort under the sun and some people are still finding fault. Because that's the way it is. But there's still value in putting forth that effort to make the gospel glorious. Some people will see it. Some people will appreciate it. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to persevere through a host of things. And then ultimately, 
in the acceptance and rejection of others. Help us to persevere in ministry and well-doing when we are unappreciated. And not only unappreciated, but actually maligned. Actually rejected. Actually evil spoken of for having done good things. Oh Lord, renew us and refresh us today. Help us to keep going on, bearing the gospel message to a lost world and to those that know us so well and yet fail to see the Spirit of God at work in our lives. Help us, O oh God, to continue on, not fighting with worldly weapons, but with righteousness, persevering by the word of truth, the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.